This is out of bounds. It's your weekly spot for the weird, wacky, wild in the sports world. This is out of bounds. See, doing it just like the introduction, Mia. That's me, O'Brien. I'm John Alba, and we have a football-friendly edition coming to you of Out of Bounds. Mia. We also have a special guest. Do you want, do you want me to introduce him? I was just about to team up. Go ahead. Show the world who's joining Out of Bounds. Folks, may I introduce you? Other way, Mia. Other way. To the prince that was promised, Trevor Lawrence. He's here, and he's beautiful. He Are also we- loves Waffle House, just like you, John Alba. Are we Did you cold? not see yet? Are we? No, we no, no. I saw that. that. I saw yeah. that. I'm saying about John Alba loving Waffle House. I don't know about that, but yeah, you know, not so gluten free, not so good for the uh, esophagus. But hey, we press on. That's okay. Gluten's not a problem for me. I, that I don't care about. I just I don't need eggs. We've talked about this. I hate eggs with every fiber of my body. So therefore, Waffle House really isn't all that conducive to my desires. But I know that you desire to talk about Trevor. The People's Princess himself, and we will be doing that momentarily here on Out of Bounds. But I encourage you every single week, my friends, to join us in the Know Your News chat by just going to knchat.com and leaving a super chat. We'll read it on air. Or to make it even easier, you just go right to YouTube if you're watching. You leave us a comment. And uh, as long as you pay for the super chat, we'll read it on air. And it will be lovely. We appreciate all of you joining us here every single week on out of bounds mia o'brien i'm not even gonna waste any more time our opening toast what are you drinking today what do you got there uh so actually a very fitting drink are you ready for this one um i have lots of coca-cola bottles that are half or a third full in my fridge that is because uh the jacksonville jaguars are now a coca-cola product franchise uh previously they were a pepsi franchise and so you know this from working in media john well no no but like you know this from working in media like i'm sure the magic like you would bring i don't know like in iowa for example there you go you can drink i also made an iowa reference in the first four minutes two minutes of the show um in iowa the big thing it was known for in the media room was the popcorn okay so like i would bring like some bags of popcorn like for the drive back the 15 minute drive back to Mm -hmm. the station um so at Jags because they have a lot of Coca-Cola bottles from games and from practices. I just have collected many of them okay. in my fridge over the past four months. And so I said, it's high time that I, um, you know, do something with them all. So this is combined with that Canadian whiskey. If you remember okay. um, that I got for that Thanksgiving carrots recipe I made for my friends giving. Um, okay. So I have not actually had it as a drink. So okay. I put some of the Coke with the whiskey and okay. uh, this is a gift from work. Okay. I did not. Right. I did not purchase this. I am an unbiased journalist. I also didn't purchase Trevor. Trevor is just visiting my Trevor house. Trevor peers over you. Okay. Trevor is just um, visiting. We are going to get the good ASMR pop here. There it is, and we're going to once again continue with our salted caramel whiskey. A cheers to what are we cheers into? To to the NFL playoffs uh, delivering in Week One, I would say. I would say too. Um, you know, you you had the opportunity to cover some playoffs in uh, mm-hmm. New England. And uh, so my first time covering the NFL playoffs, but also I know that, uh, you know, both of us are looking at a lot of bucket list items in in the media media realm this year. So cheers to that as we embrace 2023. Mm. It's good. It's smooth. Those Canadians, they got a certain twang, you know, it gets a little different. All right, Mia. There we go. There's your boy. The Jaguars, they are playing with house money right now. 
Nothing to lose. An all-time great comeback uh, against the Los Angeles Chargers, propelling them to a divisional round game and a date with the Chiefs. This has been a pretty incredible run that the Jags are on, and we're seeing the metamorphosis of Trevor Lawrence into the quarterback that I think a lot of people thought he'd be and the leader that I think a lot of people thought he'd be. A comeback for the ages, the third largest in NFL playoffs history. Mia, you were there for it. Uh, they're Like I said, they're playing with house money here. Uh, does logic, though, ultimately prevail when you got a powerhouse on hand here? Yeah, well, that's, I think, the big question at hand as we preview um, the Chiefs and the Jaguars coming up this Saturday at 4.30 on NBC. Um, Patrick Mahomes is the king. If, if Trevor Lawrence is the prince, his, that was promised. His dad did play Major League Baseball. Yes, there's also that. Um, but, you know, until you dethrone him, which Joe Burrow has done twice or three times, excuse me, in the last calendar year. So it can be done um, until proven otherwise. Yes. The chiefs are the chiefs. They are the new Patriots by many accounts. Um, At the same time, what I think is most fascinating because obviously the Jaguars win this game Saturday night. And so there were a lot of things at play that as much as everyone assumed the chiefs would be waiting for them in the divisional round, we're going to get into the Miami dolphins coming up a little bit later in the show. A lot of people were texting me saying, Hey, don't look now. You may be going to Cincinnati. Yeah, but. And then I had people texting me saying, hey, I think the Ravens have a chance tonight. And if the Dolphins pull this off, the Jags are hosting a divisional playoff yeah, game. And so <laughs> th- there was a lot of that at play. And so then there was also a lot of people trying to play the, well, they have this, they have that. How do we match up game? And what I found most fascinating is after the performance of both the Bengals and the Bills last night, so many people were like, well, they would be more favorable matchups for the Jaguars than the Kansas City Chiefs. And while, yes, the Kansas City Chiefs are, you know, they, they have Patrick Mahomes, they have Andy Reid, they have Travis Kelsey. I'll give them Chris Jones. John, n- name me someone else that the Kansas City Chiefs have who, who's like, well, oh, my they God, have, guys. They have me. one thing that is not even a tangible player. They got one of the toughest places in all of football to play. True. And playing a playoff game at Arrowhead Stadium is a 12th man in and of its own. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, but compared to years past, after, besides those four names. I get it. I understand your point. I understand that was my, point. And that was my takeaway. My takeaway was, to your point about logic versus, you know, prevailing over this destiny that the Jaguars seemingly have tied to their name these days. Um, you go against the Bengals, you have a lot of dudes you got to be covering. And while the Jaguars defense has played some of its best ball of the season over the, the six-game win streak, at the same time, you got to cover Jamar Chase. You got to cover... T. Higgins, you got to cover Boyd. You got to cover Joe Mixon. You got some Aji P. Right? You got Hayden Hurst, the Jacksonville product. So that's a lot of dudes. Whereas if you look at Kansas City, Kelsey is not an easy assignment by any stretch no, of the imagination. Kadarius Tony has had one he's, game, yeah, one big game as a Chief. It was against the Jaguars. A he's still a threat. And I, I just, I look at it in even a much more broad sense because this is a weekly theme when it comes to postseason play that we see year in and year out the teams that play with house money the teams that catch hot at the right time who weren't supposed to be there in the first place they are always the most dangerous teams it is year in and year out consistently i say this as having grown up a a new york giants fan i saw what the giants did in 2007 i saw what the giants did in 2011 when teams catch hot right before the postseason and they have a great coach like your boy Doug, who has proven that, or our boy Tom Coughlin, who, lest we forget, Coughlin, be- sure. began his NFL career here in Jacksonville in, in and is Jacksonville. still very involved in this community. They they just 
they they adapt well, they adjust well. The adjustments the Jaguars made in this game against the Chargers, and let's not hide it here. The, the Chargers shot themselves in the foot a few times in this game, especially with the lack of adjustments that they made and the coach questionable coaching from Brandon Staley. But uh, I, I just think right now, Mia, even though Kansas City, I do believe, is a better team. I, I think the Jaguars can match them eye for an eye in certain realms of that offense. But if you fall behind a team like Kansas City, yep. it's hard to pick up momentum against the team. Well, especially at Arrowhead, like mm-hmm. you said. That's that is the biggest thing. Um, what I will tell you... Um, we have a weather forecast yet? I'm going to take a look yes, at that. Yes, we do. Uh, it's looking about 38 degrees at kickoff, uh, which is going to be at 3.30 local time, which is still warmer than the 28 degrees from my trip out there with the Jaguars in November. So I'm seeing 44 degrees on Saturday. Oh, okay, so, so it went up. That's not cool. too somebody, shabby. Somebody, yeah. We'll take that. We'll take there it any day of the week. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, I will say this though, what, what's so fascinating. And if you're joining us and you know, you, you don't know anything about the Jaguars other than they won on Saturday. What I will tell you is this, um, in the second year of the franchise's history in 1996, they were three and seven week 10, week 11 of the 1996 season. And they won six of seven. I'm doing the math. Hold on. Five of six to close out the regular season. So five of six to close out the regular season. They sneak into the playoffs literally on Morton Anderson's missed field goal at the end of regulation against the Falcons. Morton Anderson is one of four kickers in the in the, the pro football hall of fame. Like he doesn't miss somehow he misses. They somehow upset the Buffalo bills in round one on the road. They go to Denver. They somehow beat John Elway and the Broncos. And all of a sudden they're playing in the AFC championship yeah. game house money got high at the right time. And what is so strange, John, is that this season, that trip to Kansas City came right before the Jaguars' bye week. And a lot of people said, like, they've shown signs of, like, they're not a bad team. Like, they, they're going to have to run the table. No, but, the, but the, like, they're, they're going to have to run the table. But, like, lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place. No. I'm, I'm with you. Or does it? I, listen, they're, they're not a bad team. They have talent. They're ahead of schedule. And that's where you take your merits with it and you say, okay – if we lose next week, this was a good season. We're happy with this. Now we yep. build on that. Yep. But but that's the beauty of it is that you get to this point and now you say, okay, we're here. Why not us? Why not us? Why can't it be us? Look at and Joe the- Burrow a year ago. They yeah. knocked off, granted, the Tennessee Titans as a number one seed and the Kansas City Chiefs as a number one different. seed are very, very different. different things. Very different. Very different things. But they picked them off. And, and it's going on with another team that we're going to get to in a few minutes here, but I, I just think that right now, if you're a Jaguars fan or if you're a fan of football, what the Jaguars are doing right now, especially with Trevor Lawrence being the guy who was foretold to be the prophet and the next big thing in professional football, this this is a good thing. This is a very good thing for the league. And making a market in Jacksonville that isn't necessarily, with all due respect, the oh, yeah. football hotbed in the NFL – Making it relevant and putting it on a pedestal. I, I mean, I know you were there the other night. I'd imagine that was probably the loudest you ever heard that place. So, yes. Yep. 70,000 plus. I also can report this, though, John, um, since I tweeted out earlier yesterday, since I've kind of become the scheduling czar. Don't ask. It's quite the uh, quite the tale. Um, I was told earlier in the day yesterday. And again, we're going to run through the whole slate of divisional round playoffs, folks, if you're just joining us. Um, I was told the Jaguars and NBC Chiefs was going to be the late night game on Saturday. And then I was told about nine 30 last night 
that no, they're going to be the 430. And I was like, oh, really? And the answer was because Giants, because New York media market. It's that simple. And, and, you know, and that's, and listen, Jacksonville has now had back to back to back primetime Saturday standalone games. And yeah. no one is complaining here. I mean, but, it's an easier day for you covering the game if it's early. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> to not be getting home at 3 a.m. for a third straight week. Come on, nice. man. Nice. Well, a team that is already sitting at home, the Baltimore yeah. Ravens, Mia, what went down here? Yeah, I mean, well, that's Tyler Huntley um, attempting a quarterback sneak that apparently wasn't game ready. Um, No, I'm just kidding. He literally ran into the hands of Logan Wilson and pushed back, and then it was returned by Sam Hubbard for a touchdown, 98-yard sprint. Um, But the real fallout from this game, John, and we'll dive into the Lamar Jackson factor in terms of long-term contract. We'll be talking about Lamar Jackson for several weeks to come. Yes, we're going to be talking about Lamar for quite some time, and we'll be talking about whether or not his future in Baltimore is over. But the real fallout regarded J.K. Dobbins, the running back Ohio State product for Baltimore, who said that he believes it would have been a different result had the Ravens, number one, gotten him the ball, not quarterback Tyler Huntley, on that fourth quarter play near the goal line on the two-yard line. He also then said, or excuse me, I should preface this with, uh, or yeah, yeah, sorry. So So Huntley, we know, he fumbles the ball away. J.K. Dobbins says if he had had the ball, it would have been different. Then he goes on to say, The Ravens would have won the game if Lamar Jackson had played. But then he retracted that and said, no, no, nothing against Tyler. He shouldn't have even been put in that situation. It's just (laughs) if Lamar had played two, you know, that would have helped. Yeah, because you can totally play two quarterbacks. Um, John, is um, a product of Urban Meyer being a bad teammate or speaking the truth? (laughs) Listen, he's not wrong that if they had Lamar, they probably win that game. They probably win that game. And as you said, that is a larger conversation to be had about should Lamar have played in this game? Well, moreover, and- let's talk about Lamar being at home. I don't have a problem with that. And I'll tell you why I don't have a problem with that, because that is a standard that I think is being unfairly held against him, where just about every other major contributor to a team that's hurt doesn't generally travel with the team. That's not like this, oh, my goodness, that dude broke his – ankle but he's on the sideline does it happen i'm sure it happens i mean when you're the quarterback and you're the quote-unquote face of the franchise i don't know i don't think it's all that unusual if a player is hurt and doesn't make the trip because there are also complications that arise with travel if you're injured and like being air pressure in a cabin on a plane can also contribute to that so i'm not going to get too much on lamar for that i know some people are if you want to go ahead Uh, this Maybe a little bit of a slight to Huntley, but I think everything Dobbins said was fair. It was questionable uh, coaching pretty much that entire second half, in my opinion, from John Harbaugh, including the clock management at the end of that game. I thought this was a very winnable game for the Ravens, and they left it on on the table there. That This was a game they could have won, which I don't think anyone was really expecting them to win, but they could have, and that That stings, especially when your season comes to an end as a result of that, Mia. I do want to give credit to Mike Tirico for the call on that 98-yard return. I thought that was one of the best calls Mike Tirico's ever had. You mean you thought it was better than Al Michaels' call of a game-winning field goal? It wasn't great. When the third largest comeback in NFL postseason or NFL history? Yeah. It wasn't great. Yeah, it wasn't great. That's okay, Al. We still like I love Al. You know I love Al. I do, too. That's why I was so disappointed. I I was so disappointed. Trevor Lawrence. I can can give you Al if you need Al it's just we're not it it was disappointing yeah it was for sure um no to answer your question I think while J.K. Dobbins perhaps didn't choose the right words um 
which isn't surprising. Um, again, product of Urban Meyer. Nothing against J.K. Dobbins. Seems like a great guy. And my cousin, who's a season ticket holder, texted me, shout out to Cousin Dan, and said, if J.K. Dobbins has more than 20 carries, we are in this ballgame. To which I responded to Dan, this is going to be a matchup eerily similar to the Jaguars and the Titans last week in that the lesser opponent has to make it a rock fight if they're to have any chance in this one. And that's what the Ravens did. So credit to them where credit is due. Um, But no, I I think that this speaks to a larger issue within the Baltimore Ravens organization, therefore, of are the players side? Well, first of all, J.K. Dobbins saying, I should have had the ball. That is very anti-Ravens. We've grown up in an era where the Ravens are this mm. premier franchise. Who should have had the ball? Pat Ricard should have had the ball. That's there cool. it is. That's, come on, Greg Roman. Get your ish together. The um, pride of Greg, University of Maine should have had the ball. Exactly. Greg Roman, come on, man. You need to draw more fullback plays. Um, but no, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the Ravens organization has always been regarded as we're all about the name on the front of the jersey, not the back mm. of the jersey. And this was a very back of the jersey name from J.K. Dobbins, even if he obviously believed that that would have led to a different outcome for the entire team as a whole. But it also says to me, and again, Tyler Huntley's the backup, so and he's not the face of the franchise, and I don't think he will be if Lamar Jackson leaves. No. Um, but does it say to you, John, that there is discontent in Baltimore, a place where there has seemingly been consistency and definitely. stability for decades? I think that definitely is because this kind of window here, the Lamar window, we can call it the 2019 to – 2023 window where Lamar won an MVP and it looked like that this was going to be a team that could go to a Super Bowl. They missed. They missed in the window. And now it looks like there's a good chance Lamar could leave. So the frustration boils over. There's discontent. I understand everything that Dominance is saying. Did he go about it the right way? That's an argument you can make either way. But I understand it. I do think this is discontent. And I think the Ravens have missed the window. And I want to get this super chat in, this $2 super chat in. Thank you, Bam255019. This is glad Lamar didn't play. Don't end up like RG3. What do you think of that? Very true. Very, very true. And that was a conversation, I believe, on all the pregame and postgame shows because there were several former players turned analysts saying he should play. Um, No. If if, if If you have been disrespected the way that he apparently felt that he was with the price tag that was attached to him preseason. And then for them to say, well, you owe us, you need to go out and do this. And, and meanwhile, still not offering him money right now. And yes, I know they agreed that they weren't going to talk until the end of the season, but at the same time, mm-hmm. like there, there's gotta be a little give here. If you're going to yeah. tell me I need to risk raising my price tag and I need to risk my career and potentially worsen an injury that not only could affect me, but it could affect you if I stick around. Again, and I don't know, again, if we find out that this injury actually isn't that severe and he's been faking a lot of it, that's where things are going to get. Oh, we're, never, we're never going to know that. That's We're just, we're never going to know the answer to that. So draw your own conclusions. What you can't draw your own conclusions about is what the hell happened with the oh dolphin my gosh. at the end of that. I love the game. beanie, by the way. Because now we know what happened this was an excellent game I don't know how much of this game you saw start to finish Mia but uh, the Dolphins had no business being in this without Tua and they took a team that many consider to be one of the perennial Super Bowl favorites to the fringe here and they had a critical fourth and one on the final drive of the game down three points and they were hit with a delay of game penalty and I was watching it. I'm saying to myself, what are they doing? They're lollygagging here. The clock's not running, but they're lollygagging. Well, head coach Mike McDaniel said the reason the Miami Dolphins got flagged for that 
is because it wasn't communicated to him properly from upstairs that they didn't have a fourth down and it, that they didn't have a first down rather, and that it was actually fourth down and he didn't have a fourth down play call ready. As a result, they're moved to fourth and six and they miss. They don't convert. This is a rookie head coach. You get it. But Mia, is this a learning moment or is this unforgivable for a head well, coach? So let's discuss who's the bigger brain of the weekend. Um, you know, since I see some folks looking for the Trevor talk uh, in our comments. Front Rewind. Go, go watch back later. Yeah, yeah. We started off the top with Trevor. Don't worry. I'm Look, sure we'll circle leave back. Us a, Guess what? Leave us a super chat. Yes, Trevor's there. He's right there. If you want to leave us a super chat, go ahead and we'll read your comment regardless of what story we're talking about. But anyway, continue, Mia. Yes. Um, who is the bigger brain, um, Mike McDaniel or Brandon Staley? Because I refer to Brandon Staley affectionately as the big brain. Um, I had some concerns earlier in the year that Mike McDaniel was trending that way. Um, but then I realized, you know, this is the same guy that took a giant selfie with all the members of the media on day one of training camp. I think he actually is just a nerdy dude who is very excited to have friends and be at the cool kids table. Hey, what the um, hell happened this week with coaches and clock management yeah, and know. these big game situations? This is what you are training for all season long. You dream being moments like this. There are coaches out there who will never get a chance to be a head coach, Mia, that would kill to be in a fourth and one position in a playoff game down three against one of the best teams in the league. Correct. Um, I, I mean, I do the thing, and I do this regardless of whether the play clock is, you know, like in danger of expiring like it did 17 times for the Miami Dolphins in Buffalo. And while I do think the crowd at Orchard Park obviously was very vocal, um, yeah, I mean, I, I always go five, four, three, two, one. I felt like I was doing it on every play, John. And that's inexcusable. I don't care if T- Skylar Thompson's a seventh-round rookie. When you're still in the huddle with five seconds to go, what are we doing? And then they're lollygagging their way to the line of scrimmage. I'm like, what At first, I'm like, okay, Mike, maybe Mike McDaniel's big-braining. Maybe he's trying to say, hey, look at us playing s- sneak attack. No. So is this a learning moment, or is this just unacceptable? Yeah, I think it's a learning moment because this is a first-year staff, and so I think, you know, this will be a good experience for them. But, you know, it's a, it's going to be a larger question, again, similar to the Ravens situation of if we had our starting quarterback, would that have happened? That's the bigger question because I don't think – a guy it, like Tua who's been in the big moment before. Right. I don't think it does. I don't think you can entirely blame that, though, on Skylar Thompson because when you look at the play calling as well, if you knew you had a seventh-round rookie, you're not going to give him the same playbook – as Tua Tagovailoa, but that's what he did, um, and it, it was to no avail, you know, on Saturday. It looked okay in Skylar Thompson's other brief mop-up duty opportunities that he had in 2023, 2022, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I want Mike McDaniel to be good because he, he's, he's a smart dude. His story is super cool, but it's inexcusable. And I don't know who becomes a scapegoat. I'm assuming Thompson's going to be the scapegoat, but it's really not entirely fair. Well, again, he he didn't put it on Thompson. He he said this was just my coaching staff miscommunicating. But, like, you're on the field, bro. You've got the pylon markers right next to you. People say the pylon markers are antiquated because we have all this digital technology. You have right there, it says down number four. There is a number there. Like, you can see it. It is right there in front of you. So how do you miss that? Well, how do you just not have a play ready? Like, even if you go, oh, crud, it's fourth and one. Like, Mm -hmm. you got to have it. Like, whether it's a sneak, 
whether it's an end around. Um, oh, that's but, a whole nother thing. And we'll talk about it in a minute here when we get into the Giants game. But fourth yeah, and which one. I see some, which I do see some super chats regarding the Giants game. Don't worry. We will get to you guys. This is uh, this. I, it's it is inexcusable, but it has to be a learning moment. You can't develop a reputation as a head coach that isn't aware of the game. Can I ask you this? Um, mm-hmm. Who is more likely to return? Well, like that, that actually, that's easy. I was going to say, who is more likely to return to their team, Lamar or Tua Tagovailoa? Who is more likely to be the Miami Dolphins quarterback in 2023, 2024? Well, I just, more than anything, hope Tua is okay. And before I even worry if he's going to be the starting quarterback, I, I, wor- I worry if he's going to live an okay life after suffering three concussions in a three-month span, which is just appalling and it's and it's the dark side of football that man it just it it is concerning across the board so i'm i'm not putting the cart before the horse on that one but could lamar be a guy that ends up there it's not implausible he's from south florida there's a chance maybe atlanta i've heard atlanta too atlanta's certainly an option for them yeah all right let's yeah let's hit your team what do we got now all right. Uh, well, this first guy. and foremost, uh, I see courtesy of our boy, Bam, a super chat, 255019. We appreciate you with your $2 super chat, brother. He says that Daniel Jones had his it game this Sunday. I, let's go Giants, I guess he means. Yes, this past Sunday. Let's go Giants. See, I really don't know what day of the week it is because the Jaguars have been playing on Saturdays, John. I almost said today was Wednesday on the air on XL Primetime mm. on 1010XL. That's mm. okay because Daniel Jones knows what day of the week it is. Um, he knows how many downs there are because he did have, in my opinion, his it game against the Minnesota Vikings, even if they are an inferior opponent. Well, did she say that out loud? Yes, indeed. DJ and Saquon Barkley brought the Giants their first playoff win since their Super Bowl run in 2012 when they beat the Vikings 31-24. to Fans are saying that former GM Dave Gettleman <laughs> deserves apologies. <laughs> Everyone should be – just like we had to apologize to Trent Baalke here in Jacksonville, you got to apologize to Dave Gettleman because he drafted both of them. Dissenters argue otherwise. Is this just – are we just prisoners of the moment, recency bias? Yeah, this John is Alba? stupid. This is beyond stupid because guess what? If Dave Gettleman had his way, then Brian Dable and his staff wouldn't even be there. And Brian Dable and his staff are the reason that Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley were able to develop in the way they did this year. This is asinine. And listen, the one little bit of credit I'll say that, yeah, he saw that there was talent in these guys. Okay. I think a lot of people knew they were both talented, especially Saquon. Everyone knew Saquon, Saquon was the easiest. Like, I understand we don't take running backs high, but, like, having seen him in person, that was the easiest pick, yeah. especially since you had already drafted – or, no, they hadn't drafted Daniel Jones, but well, they had Eli Manning. they taken Josh Allen in that draft. So, let's – I mean, it's, uh, it, is, it is fair. But he, he did see the talent in Daniel Jones. And I think in Daniel Jones's rookie season, you saw some of the the flashes of that talent. It was there. But let's not forget what happened in every ensuing season after that and the significant regression that occurred because of the Giants' stubbornness to surround that offense with their correct offensive minds. And then you have Daniel Jones come out here in this game looking like a combination of Peyton Manning and Mike Vick. It was unbelievable to see the game management from Daniel Jones. And the point that I wanted to make earlier when you brought up the whole fourth and one, do you sneak and all that stuff? The Giants played forward this entire game. 
So many teams, Mia O'Brien, get so cute with trying to throw to the flat or they they do a pitch on third and four to see what they can get or they'll run into the shotgun. The Giants played forward. They ran forward. They threw forward. It was an aggressive offensive attack. And that allowed all of these people to maximize their output. Guys who maybe aren't superstars, Isaiah Hodgins and Daniel Bellinger, they played at their very best because of this. Mentality and coaching changes everything, Mia. And I think that's what we should be crediting, not Dave Gettleman's genius for drafting these guys. What say you? Brian Dable did drive up uh, to his first day on the job in an F-150. Never forget. Never never forget. That's how you know that they were all business. No, listen, I I will give the Giants credit, all the credit in the world for getting Brian Dable into the building and what he has brought culturally to uh, MetLife and but it's not just it's it's total development well it's mindset it's also it's coaching it is coaching and development but it's mindset too because I mean listen and also it's stability I'll tell you this from here covering the team here in Jacksonville like they say all the time Doug Peterson is the same dude whether they win or they lose and while I think Brian Dayball is a little bit more of a yeller than Doug Peterson he seems like he is the same dude, whether they win or they lose. And having that well, stability. Daniel Jones' historic performance, good. <laughs> right. That's what I mean. Which, by the way, I, I do want to get some of the numbers from that game. Daniel Jones, uh, 24 of 35, 301 yards for two touchdowns, zero interceptions, was sacked three times. I know you have questions. A lot of Giants fans do. You can put them in the comments if you are intrigued by this uh, offensive line. How will the Giants address that? Do they keep their offensive line intact moving forward? Saquon Barkley, only nine carries for 53 yards, but two touchdowns, which is mind-numbing, um, but that's just the way the cookie crumbled on sat- on Sunday. And, yeah, let's let's take a look, John, at who caught passes from DJ. You ready? Go ahead. Isaiah Hodgins. Who? Darius Slayton. Richie James. Saquon Barkley. Daniel Bellinger. Lawrence Gager, who once played tight end. Now he kind of plays wide receiver. I really don't know what position he plays now. Um, yeah, that is coaching. That is coaching. Let's take a look, though, for, for argument's sake, at some of the other players that Dave Gettleman drafted. Aziz Ojulari, good player. Kadarius Toney, no longer on the Giants. Um, you tell me these names. Uh, Aaron Robinson, Ellerson Smith, go UNI Panthers. Gary Brightwell, Rodarius Williams. Was, was Eli Apple a Gettleman pick? Uh, I do not think so. What, what, think year, was, what year was Eli Apple? He was the year before Evan Ingram, so he was 2016. So I think that is a Dave Gettleman pick. I think it might have been his first year then. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> okay. Um, but I also want to give some flowers. Eli Apple got cooked yesterday in yeah. the Bengals game. For, yeah, just like he did in the Super Bowl. Um, I want to give you some other names, though, that do speak to your point about coaching. Um, that being Andrew Thomas, a guy, 2020, fourth overall pick that people said was the wrong tackle taken. Coaching has changed him. Xavier McKinney, uh, outside of, you know, um, maybe not uh, – Going on vacation and going on an. Uh, but he made the, the biggest ACB. tackle of the game. He he brought exactly. Down he came back. Look what, he's done. Look what he's done. <laughs> Correct. Shane Lemieux, fifth round pick. Matt Pert, like Darnay Holmes, like there there are guys who they were oh they were whatever, but now they've been taken over the top. And Landon Collins cool. comes back from Death Valley in the NFL and is a contributor on this team. Here's my point, me O'Brien, and again, I'd love to hear some fellow super chats about this, and we'll read them on air. The Giants, much like the Jacksonville Jaguars, are playing with house money. The Giants were not supposed to be here this year. 
they're a year or two ahead of where they were supposed yeah, to. Yeah, they're probably two years. Like the like the Jags, no offense to Daniel Jones. The Jags have him. He's not Daniel Jones is not him. No, but he's showing that he may Which is fine because he has Saquon and he has a defense. So it's great. Jones, but that that Daniel Jones game was a better game than just about any game that that Trevor Lawrence has played this season. Daniel Jones set records yesterday. He's the first quarterback in history, Mia. The first quarterback in history to throw for 300 yards, score two touchdowns, and rush for 70 yards or more. First in history. That's Duke's Daniel Jones, the guy that looks like a knockoff Eli Manning in a Hallmark original movie. That guy had one of the best playoff games ever for a quarterback. That needs to be praised it is a product of good coaching. It is a product of development. And it's a product of everything we talked about in the first story, where that is a team catches hot at the right time, and they start to believe that they could beat anybody. And guess what, Mia? The Giants haven't beat the Eagles on the road in like a decade plus, let alone in the playoffs. They're just horrible against the Eagles on the road. But I would say the Giants who I would have never said this about going into the season, have a 50-50 chance at beating the Eagles walking into Lincoln Financial Field. And if they don't win, you can say, you know what, that was a hell of a season, and I can't wait to see what they do next year. What I will say, and I didn't think this until a buddy of mine said it to me yesterday, there is something to be said about these divisional rematches in the playoffs, having teams meet for a third time. I think if the Miami Dolphins played the Cincinnati Bengals and the Bills played the Ravens, you do not see the situation that you saw unfold both in Buffalo and in Cincinnati last night. And I think you could say the same in a weird, twisted way for what's to come between the Eagles and the Giants. And I also think, because lest we forget, the Vikings only beat the Giants in the regular season on a miracle 68-yard walk-off field goal. That's why I, I picked the Giants to win because the Giants played the better game that day. It's just that Kirk Cousins has more weapons. Imagine if Daniel Jones had the weapons that Kirk Cousins does. Wow, I can't believe you got me talking about Daniel Jones like that. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Let's switch gears here. here. Is there anything else you want to say on the NFL playoffs looking ahead at next week? We still have one more game here tonight. It's going to kick off in a little bit. Yeah, I think that actually the game tonight is going to kind of – I mean, I I don't want to predict what it's going to play out like. But I think that all the games this weekend outside outside of maybe that first one between the Niners and the Seahawks that we didn't really touch on. um, That was a good game until – That was a good game. It It was a good game. I think all these games, like we are talking about so many of them as did this team win or did this team leave the door open and blow it? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's fascinating. Yeah, they were all good games. They, they really were. They delivered. And rarely do you say across the board that a playoff round delivered. And, and they really did. And honestly, tonight should be a pretty good game. And it's, it, it might be a beautiful disaster of a game, but it should be a pretty competitive game. Who are you picking? Man, I've covered Tom Brady for too damn long to know never to pick against Tom I know, Brady. That's how I feel. Just, and also, it's the Cowboys. They haven't won a playoff game since the Cowboys the a better team than the Bucks, probably, overall. But I never pick against Tom Brady. Also, like, this is the thing I've been yelling at people about. Like, we were talking about the Bucks defense week one, two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. as if they were, like, the 85 Bears. Like, they were the greatest defense ever assembled. What happened? Not Like, yeah, a couple dudes got banged up, but not like they lost no. everybody they lost on their offensive line. Like, if they had the excuses of that offensive line, mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, maybe they're not them anymore. But I, I think that defense yeah. is pretty good. No, it, it is pretty good, and, and I'm just uh, – I'm curious to see if – I'm curious to see if Brady's career 
ends tonight on a much more somber note than we were expecting. So I'm, you think he's done? You don't think you don't like these Raiders Niners rumors? I would say it's more likely he retires than it's likely he returns. But mm-hmm. is it impossible for him to return? Absolutely not. Let's keep moving here, Mia. We got a few more topics. Let's switch over to uh, one of the biggest soap opera stories that we've seen in baseball in some time. Baseball? How about any sport? When have we ever seen this happen? Yeah, this is pretty wild. Carlos Correa finally inking a deal. Uh, with the Minnesota Twins returning to the Twins, a six-year, $200 million deal with a whole bunch of incentives and different things thrown into it. He's the first player in history to agree to deals with three teams in one offseason, the Giants, the Mets, and then the Twins. His physicals had raised concerns from both the Giants and Mets, and the Mets had gone on record and saying he would be the difference maker that would put them over the top. He was the guy they needed while they let him walk to the Twins. Does anyone deserve heat here? For how this all played out, does it fall on the Scott Boris and Carlos Correa camp? Does it fall on the Mets? Does it fall on the Giants? Or was this just fine how it played out? I will make an analogy um, about the New York Mets to their brethren who share the same color scheme down here in the Sunshine State, the Florida Gators, um, in that the uh, Florida Gator football team, Billy Napier, head coach, signs Jaden Rashada, fringe five-star high school quarterback recruit, um, and it flips him from Miami, goes on and on at signing day about how they developed this great relationship with Jaden. He wanted to be a Gator. He loves the culture here. It's awesome. Like, we think he's going to be the best fit ever. And then word gets out last week that Jaden Rashada had not enrolled at the University of Florida as previously planned because he got to campus, and the money that he was promised uh, through his NIL deal wasn't there. And what a lot of my colleagues at 1010XL, and many of whom are Florida alums, said – what was most, you know, just stark and upsetting to them is that did Billy Napier get played or did he know what was happening? That he stood up there and he gushed about, oh, yes, like he's going to be a difference maker. It's going to be great. Everything is going to be awesome. And then you essentially got played. Um, and, and it's different but similar, I think, with the Mets and Carlos Correa. The difference being that I think that Steve, Steve, oh, Steve is at a point. I'm referring to the uh, owner, Steve Cohen, of the New York Mets. Um, He's at a point where he tweets and says whatever he wants, and we all just laugh about it. Mm -hmm. So that's why he can get away with it. Yeah, they needed Carlos Correa. They needed him. Even with all the money they've spent. They doesn't matter. It's monopoly money. There's no salary. No, no, no. I mean, like, the fact that they're, like, adding all – or add this guy. we got to add that guy. we got to be a contender. They they need a bat. They didn't get a bat. That's their biggest issue here. They didn't get the bat that they needed. And there's going to be people who say, well, Machado's probably going to enter free agency next year. Otani's going to be out there to get. And yeah, one of them could come to the Mets. Maybe even both of them could come to the Mets. But I do think Carlos Correa was probably the bat they needed to put them over the top for this season. And ultimately the goal here is to win a World Series at the end of the day, especially with the patchwork the Mets have been doing. I do think the Mets were a little overzealous making the offer after the Giants deal fell through. And I think they felt, oh, this was just a Giants team doctor thing. He's going to be fine with us. But then when they saw that, oh, oh my goodness, I don't know. And the, the sad part is, if you're following the negotiations, it sounds like the Mets weren't that far off from what the Twins ultimately gave Carlos Correa on a more incentive-laying, shortened deal 
I think the Mets should have just gone for it. And because this is win now territory for the Mets. The Twins have had a nice offseason. Christian Vasquez added to the equation. They they really have. And Correa is a really good piece to build around for them. But this is not a win now season for the Twins. This is a win now season coming up for the Mets. So my question is, is we're talking about Lamar Jackson and his injury history. And of course, we had a couple super chats asking about, you know, the fact that some people were calling for Lamar to play and gut it out. But we don't want him to have an RG3 type situation I mean if if two teams are saying that there's an issue like isn't that a red flag if you're the Minnesota Twins like I understand like he cleared their own physical so right and I guess those doctors know him and to that same point another Florida Gator reference for you played for the Twins last year too correct right right so to that point on another note uh Keontae Johnson who suffered from sudden cardiac arrest on the floor between Florida and Florida State back in November 2020. Florida doctors would not clear him to return to play basketball, but Kansas State did, and that's why he's now playing at Kansas State and averaging double figures. Um, well, it was also a life-threatening thing, whereas right. it's an ankle. But but that's what I'm saying, is it's still like one one program says yes, one says no. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, there are variables that are a little different, but I, I get your general point. It's for me, just something I think the Mets should have pulled the trigger on, and they didn't. And I think that's something that could come back to hurt them uh, because this is a win-now year for them. And if some of those pitching short-term fixes that they invested in don't pan out for more than a year, you're looking back at that Correa signing and saying, oh, what if we had Correa in 2023? How much of a difference would that have made? So I, I do think it is significant, even if it was a long year commitment. Let's keep rolling here, Mia. We go to the ice. We do. Remind the people, though, or we will remind them afterwards about leaving Super Chats and comments because we appreciate it, as always. Um, yes, let's hit the ice. I am drinking Canadian whiskey. It is only fitting. Uh, except we're not going to go to Canada. We're going to stay in the U.S. The well, Seattle Kraken yeah. became the first NHL team in history Saturday to sweep a road trip of seven games, going 7-0 and on a 13-day road trip. John, is this the most impressive team streak ever? And if not, what is? I don't think it's the most impressive ever, and I'd love to hear people's thoughts here. You can leave that super chat, as Mia said. You can uh, leave it there on YouTube. It's the easiest way to do it, or go to kynchat.com and leave it there. I think that it is admirable that 13 days on the road, you produce seven wins, especially in a sport like hockey, where it is just so physical and draining, both mentally and physically. I think that there are other sports where there are some more variables at play. Like I look at what the 2017 Cleveland baseball team did, formerly the Indians. Uh, I believe it was 22 games in a row they won. And in, I've said this on the show. I still think you're not going to convince me otherwise that hitting a 98 mile an hour fastball is the hardest thing in sports that you can possibly do. I, I stand by that. People can disagree. You feel free. Leave a super chat. Disagree with me all you want. So to win 22 games in a row, the seven in a row over 13 days is impressive in a physical sport like hockey, but 22 in a row for the modern era. I believe there was a longer streak in the National League in like 1916 or 15, but in the modern era to win 22 in a row is just insane. Yeah, because I mean, w- when you think about it, in theory, you could say the 17 or 16 and 0, 17 and 0 Dolphins, because the, mm-hmm. the streak remains intact that that's the most impressive team streak ever, but the game has changed so much. Mm-hmm. So that's where I do think with baseball and hockey, while those two games have also changed, um, it's not nearly to the extent that the game of football 
has shifted from Even being, the NBA, the Lakers, what was it, like 33 in a row in the 70s? And I was like, going to say UCLA as well UCLA. under John Wooden. That was going to be my example. Um, so, listen, like, the game has shifted in football and basketball it's so much, dramatically. And that's even in the last 10 years in both of those sports where one is now such a quarterback-driven league and the other one is driven by the three-point shot yeah. that didn't even exist when John Wooden and his teams were doing what they were doing in the 60s and 70s. That's why I think if the Patriots had pulled it off in 07-08 that that probably is your answer, but they didn't. So, <laughs> And even then, like Tom Brady really wasn't Tom Brady in 2007. Who was Tom Brady? I mean, he wasn't the GOAT. He was great. No, like we, but he was well on his way to becoming the goat. Right, and we knew that, but it wasn't to the extent of how we speak to him and such speak of him in such reverence now. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to shout out the Seattle Kraken because I love a good expansion franchise. John, let's turn this question on its head. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved when the Golden Knights, Las Vegas, second year of existence, when they went on their Stanley Cup run. That was freaking awesome to me. Um, name me another sport in which the f- expansion teams can do what they're doing. Like we're seeing the Seattle Kraken competing, even though they've had ups and downs during the last few years of their existence. And then the Golden Knights right on the onset. No, I mean, it's, it's an incredible story for both of those. You referenced your Jaguars earlier. They did something pretty similar back in the mid nineties. The same year that the Carolina Panthers, the same team that came into existence, the same same year as the Jags, they went to the NFC championship game. They did as well. Uh, the Expos were pretty strong out of the gate when they came into Major League Baseball as well. But it's hard. It's hard to come by, especially as expansion teams. So, yeah, it, it's impressive. And I think one of the reasons that happens, again, this is not a first-year Seattle Kraken team, but I think the thing is the league takes some time figuring out these teams. It takes time to figure out, okay, how do they play? How quick do they play? And that's what you saw with the Vegas specifically when that all happened. Plus, they had a molten hot goaltender which that helps everything as well but uh, they played so quickly and it took the league a little bit of extra time to catch up to them we also haven't had across sorry interrupt you across the four major sports outside of hockey we haven't had an expansion draft since houston texans or baseball maybe like i I, like it's so fascinating for me when i go back and i watch when I watched the expansion draft for football for the Houston Texans and Tony Baselli was their first pick, who obviously had played for the Jaguars at an all pro level before then now is in the hall of fame. Um, it's like so weird. Like I, like I can't wrap my head around expansion drafts outside of hockey. And I understand how that goes. I mean, they're very similar, but in one of the other three major sports. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to go through my head here and rack my head. Uh, I don't believe the NBA has expanded Mm-mm. in some time yeah uh the nhl has certainly been most proactive when and it we were talking to- last week on the show about sure. if major league baseball is to mm-hmm. expand so maybe we'll see it soon who knows we certainly could let's speaking keep- of basketball oh this is a great one look at that right there i love this what's on them is what I- are they just straight frog legs or is that well, like the backstory tomato here sauce on the best show in sports television Shaq. Lost a bet when TCU lost to Georgia in the national championship game. And because they are the horned frogs, he had to eat frog legs on air. And the entire studio team was like disgusted by this. But I got to ask you, is this really all that bad of a lost bet for Shaq? I mean, he was enjoying it. He was going to town on this. Uh, These looked like they were they were um, prepared in almost a, a barbecue manner. It looked like he had some like 
Creole. It is Atlanta. They do film the show in Atlanta, so it barbecue looked, sauce makes sense. Well, it looked like he might have had some sort of like Creole dipping sauce when I was watching the video here. Hmm. I, I mean, are frog legs all that bad, Mia? At the end of the no, day? apparently in France they're like a delicacy, aren't they? I mean, it's not just in France. It's I mean, I feel like in the U.S. people eat frog legs. And like again, have you ever had frog I, legs, John Alba? Oh, I'm surprised. Why is I, I'm I'm very much a foodie who's like again. I watch grilling videos at three in the morning every single morning. Like this this I'm about this. So when I saw frog legs, I'm like, oh, that's not that weird. And then I saw everyone else was like, oh my god, Jack is eating frog legs. I'm like really, is it that strange? Like I'm all about so. trying the. Exotic. What's the strangest thing you've ever eaten? This is know your news. We do take things out of bounds and yes. into the weird and wacky. And if anyone wants to tell us theirs, leave a super chat. I'd love to see what some of the weirdest things you guys have eaten. Uh, I've had rattlesnake. Mm-hmm. Um, that was going to be mine. Yeah, what do you I love rattlesnake because it tastes yeah. like calamari. Uh, it's similar. Yeah, I'd say it was yeah. similar. Um, I love gator. I don't think yeah, gator's gator, all that gator's weird. Gator's good. Yeah, gator's I, good. Well, and so we just listed some amphibian life. Mm-hmm. So it's similar to the frog. Yeah, the frog frog legs to me. It probably, the- it probably tastes like that. Well, it, I mean, gator and a rattlesnake are deep fried. They can be. They don't have to be. I've had many different types of gator. I've had fried oh. gator. I've had blackened gator. I've had mm. grilled gator. I even had a dry-aged gator. I have had grilled gator, too. That's I've had true. gator jerky as well. Mm. Uh, that, was, that was interesting. But the frog legs, they taste kind of like chicken and fish. There's like a weird like consistency in between the middle there. Uh, so it's okay. not quite as flaky as fish, but it's not as firm as chicken either. I, I, I didn't think they had any like supreme weird taste to them, especially if you get a dipping sauce there. I, I didn't think the ones he was eating looked that bad. And as long as you got the dipping sauce, in my estimation, just lather it up, man. They were like appalled. I can't remember if it was Kenny or if it was Chuck, but one of them Probably was, Chuck. One of them was just like, This is disgusting. And I, I don't I don't know. Maybe am I weird for thinking that this isn't that disgusting? I don't think so. <laughs> any, uh, have we had any super chats? Yo, um, like, everyone, get on YouTube, get your super chats in. Let us know here because maybe comment I'm on YouTube. Wrong. Maybe I'm in the wrong. I don't know. Have you had frog legs before. Are they disgusting? Are they not? Please respond. I, I don't think they're that disgusting. Like if you were to be like Shaq has to eat tripe, which is sheep stomach. That to me would be more of a disgusting bet. I'm sorry if anyone likes tripe out there, but like that to me tripe. is more disgusting. All right, let's end on the hardwood. Uh, we head on over to the ladies' game. No, not Caitlin Clark. Uh, I know many think that's all I talk about when it comes to women's basketball. Maya Moore, um, a hero both on and off the court, retired from from professional basketball today. John, where does Maya Moore rank in terms of all-time greats in American sports, both in terms of her play on the court and also what she has done off of it? I hate that because she played in the WNBA and because she played women's basketball, so many people are going to overlook her legacy and that's unfair. It's not right, especially because the WNBA really has come a long way and they have a lot of stars right now, the WNBA because of the caliber of women's college basketball. Maya Moore, as far as I see her is even a step higher than the likes of Serena Williams. And it's because of what she was able to contribute off the court. Aside from what she did on the court, four-time WNBA champion, a finals MVP, a league MVP, six-time all-star. Well, I was going to say the fact that she won, she won how many how many WNBA titles and then two national titles? I was going to say, and, 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 and 
four NBA titles. Which I know at UConn, only winning two national titles is like, what? No, right. But tons of, tons of international success. Uh, two gold medals in the Olympics. I mean, just on the court, she's a legend. And she's just 33 oh, years old, too. Right. But to step away for four years to take a leave to focus on trying to reform the justice system because it's something that's important to you, especially I don't think it's a coincidence that she did this on MLK Day that she retires here. She is beyond a legend as far as I'm concerned, Mia. What say you? Well, that's the crazy part. She's 33, and she took four years away from the sport. Mm -hmm. So doing the math here, she was in her prime almost her entire athletic career from the moment she stepped on the campus in stores at 18 years old until she was 28, 29 years old. So she really only played for 10 years. And what's so upsetting for me about this is that if we're, she's going to be in the pro basketball hall of fame and she's going to be in the best Smith basketball hall of fame. I'm not worried about that. She will be in there. Um, but if she was a football player, 10 years, you know, did she really play long enough would be the response. And that's just, well, that's insane. Given how much she accomplished, that's insane. Right. For how much she accomplished in 10 years. Again, we said it. So in 10 years time, how many times did you say she, so a six time all-star six time all-star four time champion. Four-time champion and then two titles in college. Mm-hmm. So, again, 18 to 28, 29. So, in 10, 11 years' time, she won six titles. How many titles did uh, Michael Jordan win again, John? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Not four like Tom Brady? I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I, I think Maya Moore is a legend. Um, I think part of it, too, that's just so fascinating. Um, love to give – Gino Oriema, his flowers, not just obviously for the success that UConn has had, but when you look at not just the players that have come through that UConn program, but the women that have taken the platform that is UConn women's basketball, gone to the WNBA, become high draft picks, and then taken what they've learned there and taken it to a whole nother level, whether that's in the professional broadcasting ranks or whether that is what we're seeing Sue Bird do, what we've seen Maya Moore do, um, what we've seen so many of the female broadcasters tell, what we've seen a certain uh, coach of, uh, well, she was at Tennessee, I was going to say Kara Lawson, but I think that um, in some, in many ways, Pat Summit and Gina Oriema are extensions of each other because they were such rivals. Um, I think what those two coaches did with their platforms and how they inspired women yeah. and what those women have now gone and done on and off the court, like that's something that shouldn't be taken for granted. And I think that that brings the show full circle, John, because it goes back to Brian Dayball. It goes back to Doug Peterson. It does come down to coaching. I think we had a great uh, comment uh, on our YouTube channel, courtesy of Larry Alive. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. I think that's a good one to end on. That's another episode of Out of Bounds in the books, my friends. Join us every single Monday night at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Trevor, thanks for joining us as well. Here on Out of Bounds, I'm sure we'll be talking about you next week. Mia, cheers to you. Enjoy your little trip covering the Jaguars. And we yeah, will see I'm very upset, time. by the way. My itinerary is not going to allow for ultimate barbecue eating this time. I'm very sad. Oh, you make the time. I you will make the, the time. time. We'll see you next time right here on Out of Bounds. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button. You really should, too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.